0: Hello, this is Professor Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today we are talking wills. In this episode, I speak with Professor Bridget Crawford, Professor of Law and the James D. Hopkins Chair at the Elizabeth Haupt School of Law at Pace University. Professor Crawford is a six-time winner of the Best Teacher Award, as voted by the graduating class, and only one of 26 professors profiled in the book, What the Best Law Teachers Do. Listen to our discussion, and you'll understand why. She gives you a great mnemonic for attacking wills, whether it's for an exam or on a bar. So here's my discussion with Professor Crawford. All right, so thank you for joining me. I'm excited you are the will... Well, that's the wrong word. (laughs)
1: Aficionato.
0: You are the will aficionado. Yes, Um, thank you. So, all right, so what are we talking about today? So today we are going to talk about
1: how to contest a will that has been validly executed. And by validly executed, I mean that all of its formalities have been met. It's in writing, it's signed by the testator, it's properly witnessed, or you've got a holographic will or a will that otherwise qualifies as a will in terms of formalities. We're sort of looking beneath the hood of the will, so to speak, and checking to see whether the will uh, could be contested on other grounds.
0: So, in other words, a wife, a woman is married to a second husband, the woman dies, and the children of the women contest the will because maybe the the woman had left all her money to the second husband. Exactly right. So
1: remarriage is a very common scenario for a will contest, as are situations involving elderly decedents who are alleged to lack mental capacity or Uh, uh, on whom um, caregivers are alleged to have exerted some sort of improper influence. So if you've got a second marriage scenario, especially where the new spouse is substantially younger than the decedent spouse, or you've got an elderly person, those are very common scenarios in which we might be applying this analysis. So the stuff of the New York
0: Post, pretty much.
1: (laughs) It's fodder for a lot of good uh, scenarios. And no law school hypothetical is as complicated or as uh, gruesome as real life. Uh, So we'll, we'll try to keep our hypos a little more pleasant. So how do you know if you have a valid will after it is executed in accordance with the formalities? It's actually quite simple. You just apply an acronym. The acronym will get you a hundred percent of all points on any examination if you follow it closely, and that is the acronym FIDO PPD. <laughs> FIDO PPD. F I D O, followed by the initials PPD. So, anytime you have uh, the question, "Is this a valid will?" if if the formalities are met. Do your FIDO PPD analysis, and shall
0: we go through them in order? Yeah, all right. So, yes. So, I just want to make sure that I am where I'm supposed to be here. So, basically, we have what looks like a valid will, right? Exactly right. It met all the requirements on its face of what would be sufficient for a valid will. Yes. And now someone wants to contest the will. And now, what do they do when they want to contest what kind of on its face looks like a valid will? If you apply the FIDO PPD analysis, you will have a complete um, and
1: comprehensive analysis of any possible challenge to the will. Should we go through them in order? Yes. Excellent. Thank so you. let's start with <laughs> F for Fraud. Uh, Under the restatement, fraud is defined as follows. A donative transfer is procured by fraud, the F in FIDO PPD. If the wrongdoer knowingly or recklessly made a a false representation to the donor about a material fact that was intended to and did lead the donor to make a donative transfer that the donor would not otherwise have made. What? Knowingly or recklessly making a false representation to the donor about a material fact that was intended to and did lead the donor to make a donative transfer that the donor would not otherwise have made. So you've got a mindset knowing and recklessly uh, a false representation and causation cause the donor to make a donative transfer that the donor otherwise would not have
0: all right, so an example of fraud would be it sounds to me something like tricking someone into signing something
1: exactly, so my mom um. Uh, thinks she's signing a gym application, for example, for membership in the local gym, but in fact, I put a will in front of her, and it's not the will she wanted. It's a will that leaves it all to me. Ha 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 ha! Not a gym membership, or um, it could be a will that is um, executed because I've made a misrepresentation. Like I say to my father, um, "Dad, my sister, you know, she's joined this crazy cult." and so you definitely don't want to leave her any money leave it all to me instead when in fact my sister is some scientist who's gone on some excursion to antarctica and can't be reached and so my father says ah oh, yes i haven't heard from your sister it must be because she's in that cult and then he leaves everything to me well my sister is going to find out about it pretty darn angry and she'll bring a claim for
0: fraud
1: against me
0: so fraud that's so fraud so if a if someone induces someone else to fraudulently sign a will, yes. that that's the grounds for challenging the will successfully. Exactly, And that's it's fraud is just trickery or lying, it seems to me. That's exactly right. Okay, that so, makes sense. Um,
1: uh, although the restatement says it in a more in a more fancy way with a mens rea and the false representation and... And causation, I think you're right, trickery. That's a nice way of explaining it. Sounds good. So that's the F. Right. F in phytopPD. The I is influence. There may be no undue influence. So let's do the formal definition and then talk um, more casually about what undue influence is. So the restatement says that a donative transfer is procured by undue influence if the wrongdoer Executed such influence over the donor that it overcame the donor's free will and caused the donor to make a donative transfer that the donor would not otherwise have made. So, what is what is undue influence? It's too much influence that overcomes the donor's free will. So, what would uh, when when do we infer? This undue influence, well, it's going to come up in cases typically involving elderly people Mm -hmm. and typically um, uh, involving situations where there is a, uh, I think, what what used to be called a December-May romance. An older person. May-December, right. (laughs) May-December. An older person and a younger person. (laughs) Right. In a sexual relationship Undue influence is One of the allegations get, That gets thrown into the pot And you can infer undue influence on, If you know certain conditions Are met You can presume undue influence If certain conditions are met And any hypothetical That involves someone In a quote confidential Relationship with the testator Is going to trigger that presumption So Keep your eyes peeled for gifts to attorneys, especially the drafting attorney. If you have a gift to a drafting attorney, uh, you better be doing the whole FIDO PPD analysis with a lot of emphasis on influence. Doctor patient. um, religious uh, leader and congregant, maybe even a caregiver and an ill or weakened person. That, that's,
0: so that's the hypothetical I was thinking of, that you have a very ill, weak person and a caregiver, and the weak person, the elderly, weak person, knows that kind of their lifeline, you yeah. know, their way to turn on the television, their way to make sure that they're taken to the movies or to get dinner is dependent on this caregiver. And the caregiver says, I, me- I want you to sign something, and the elderly person does it because this person is their lifeline. No gun to their head. Right. Just undue influence. Right. So when now someone is real. in a position of power, so to speak, right? That's exactly right.
1: Okay. And, and And the problem really is that sometimes... A testator may really want to compensate that
0: caregiver, mm-hmm.
1: so it is not every caregiving relationship that's inappropriate.
0: So that's interesting because I'm thinking of the hypothetical where the kids aren't taking care of the elderly parent, and the caregiver is, and then the the the, the elderly parent passes away, and everything where a lot was left to the caregiver, right. And the kids challenge it, right? right? And that's really a is it a question of fact? Or it is definitely. A question and that's of a fact. question of fact is to decide, like maybe the elderly parent. So you know what the real moral of the story is? Take care of your parents when they get older, kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, if you're the caregiver, it, you know you're in the position to you're in the best position to collect the evidence of lack of undue influence. In other words, if you're the caregiver, you'd want other people present when that will gets signed, and for the testator to make statements to neighbors, to right. friends, to other people that hey, so-and-so has been working for me for 20 years right. and is my lifeline to the world. Right. Of course I want to compensate him or her. Right. Um, but those caregiver cases very often do not come out in favor of the caregiver, unfortunately. Really? Wow. There is a, a pro-family bias, wow. uh, most certainly, in the cases. So what do we have so far? We've got fraud uh, and we've got undue influence. You don't want to have fraud, you don't want to have undue influence. So now let's move to the D, the okay. du- duress. The duress is much easier. That's the classic gun to the head. The restatement has a formal definition, of course. A donative transfer is um, uh, procured by duress if the wrongdoer threatens to perform or did perform a wrongful act that coerced the donor into making a donative transfer that the donor wouldn't have otherwise made. That's, if you do not sign this will... I am going to kill you. Those cases are not so common. Mm -hmm. Those cases are not so common because they're easy to recognize. So uh, fraud and undue influence, more common than duress. Duress is easy to
0: recognize when you see it. And can we just take a second and talk about, because it's interesting, undue, undue influence and duress are important in contract formation as you know, defenses to that too. And also, particularly duress in crime law. And I think one of the problems people have is the difference between undue influence and duress. Hmm. And tell me if you would agree with this, duress comes from an external source forcing you to do something against your will and And undue undue influence influence comes from a person well but so does duress yeah
1: they're both they're both external forces but one is more sub rosa than Mm -hmm. the other Mm -hmm. um duress is more overt i have a gun to your head if you don't execute this document Uh, I will shoot you as opposed to if you don't execute this document, I won't give you your dinner and you're unable to get it for yourself or I won't change the television for you or I'll leave your bandages on for an inappropriate amount of time. So undue influence, I think, is harder to get our hands on because
0: it it is is it comes in so many different forms. Got it. Um, So on an exam, you can look at both duress and undue influence. If you can't prove duress, you might also then want to look at undue influence. Absolutely. That's why on
1: any exam where you are... Saying, is this will valid, notwithstanding that it meets all of the formalities for execution? Right. You want to do the whole Fido PPD got it. Makes total sense. You want to do fraud. You want to do undue influence. The I in Fido mm-hmm. PPD. You want to do D in DRESS. And O. O is easy. You got to be old enough to execute a will. I needed a vowel make my acronym work.
0: <laughs> Did you come up with this acronym? Yeah, of It's
1: awesome. Um, you've got to be old enough. Um, okay. You've got to be 18 or more. In some jurisdictions, you have to be a little bit older to dispose of real property. That never comes up in an exam, but FIDO-PPD, my acronym, won't work without a vowel, so I needed my O. Okay. And,
0: and this, by the way, is so awesome for everyone studying for the bar exam, too. That's true. Right.
1: FIDO-PPD. Throw, if you are asked if you've got a valid will, throw FIDO-PPD at, at the bar examiners, and you're good. You're okay. going to be scoring all the points possible. Last one, PPD. Little, it, it's all uh, one prong, a little more complicated. That's mental capacity. Um, uh, PPD stands in my shorthand for people, property, and disposition. What does that mean? That the testator, this is the restatement now, the testator has to be capable of knowing and understanding in a general way the nature and extent of his or her property, (laughs) that's the P, the natural objects of his or her bounty, the people, and the disposition uh, that he or she is making of that uh, property and must be capable of... Of relating those elements to one one another and forming an orderly desire regarding the disposition. So you gotta know who do you love, what do you got, and how it all fits together. Okay? Now note that this is a test of capacity. You have to be capable of knowing it. Not that you actually do. Right. You might not know whether you own know, oh, Microsoft or Intel or Hog Futures or Oil Futures. But you have a general sense that you are a wealthy person, for example.
0: So you can't give away things you aren't aware or are capable of being aware of, knowing that you can dispose of. What you're saying is you have to understand the nature of the ability to give away. Correct.
1: Yes you have to you have to know in general what you have, right, in order to give it away. Okay, got that it. That I tend, you know, I own real estate. I don't own a lot of jewelry, or I own this and not that. Then you have to know who are the peop- the natural objects of your bounty. That's typically friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and Caregivers. Then, <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, then uh, putting that all in some kind of order. If, you know, my sister is my favorite relative, it would then be odd for me to leave something to my fifth cousin th- thrice removed. Got it. Um, this is a really low standard. You just got to know your PPD, your mm-hmm. people, your property, and your disposition. Mm-hmm. You can be drunk as a skunk and execute a will, as long as you know you're capable of knowing your PPD. Okay. Um, it's a lower threshold than contract capacity. Interesting. Um, because we worry about contracts as lifetime transfers. We worry about people denuding themselves of assets they may need later. hmm with a will, you're going to be dead. Right. So as long as you're capable of knowing your PPD, then you're in good shape. Technically speaking, the determiner of mental capacity is the attorney supervising the execution of the will. Right. But the, as a practical matter, if there's a will contest, there are going to be experts called in to testify as to mental capacity even though technically it's the attorney who makes the determination. And just as a practical lawyering tip, um, uh, if you have doubts about someone's uh, mental capacity, you may not want to go forward with a will execution. Uh, People always ask me, well, why don't you just videotape the will execution? I think videotaping will executions is only a good idea if you do it for each and every will execution. If you do it selectively, then inevitably you're going to be asked, Miss Crawford, why did you videotape this will oh, execution? Oh, interesting. Did you think there was right, going to be a will right. contest? You don't want to have to answer yes. So, my, In general, I do not advise uh, videotaping uh, will executions, but different attorneys take different views on that one. That's
0: interesting.
1: So just to review, super short recap, FIDO PPD. If you've got a validly executed will... And you need to know whether otherwise the the will should be admitted to probate, look for fraud, undue influence, duress, someone was old enough to execute a will, and they know their PPD, their people, their property,
0: and the disposition they're making. All right. So this is perfect, and it makes total sense. So just really quickly, can you give me a hypo, like a general hypo maybe you presented on the exam, and let's just run through it quickly?
1: Yes. So... um, Someone, an elderly person, uh, prior to his or her death, uh, goes to the bank, makes uh, several withdrawals, and um, makes various gifts to grandchildren. Then later that week, executes a will that leaves all of her property to her attorney uh, and her financial advisor. And she includes in her will statement that she's doing that because the attorney and the financial advisor have been very loyal to her over the years and her children never come to see her and her children were well taken care of during their lifetime. She doesn't feel that her children need more money. She had made some gifts to the grandchildren earlier in the week and the people she really wants to benefit are her attorney and her financial advisor. So on an exam, this might be teed up that the testator has signed it. There are two independent uh, witnesses. The document is in writing. Everything looks valid on its face. Got it. And now it's time to apply
0: FIDO ppd <laughs> I
1: love it. That's when you do fido ppd okay. How do you do it? Okay. Fraud. Undue influence, dress, old enough, PPD. Fraud. Um, did someone by trickery cause the decedent... Uh, to execute the will. You'd you'd ask what facts and circumstances were present. Based on the hypo I gave you, we don't have any evidence of fraud or trickery. Um, The real excitement is going to be in the undue influence category because of that attorney involvement. Because of that attorney involvement, there's going to be a presumption of undue influence because of the confidential relationship, so the attorney is going to have to rebut that presumption.
0: So can I just interrupt you for a second? I would think on an exam, then, it seems to me that if you see some kind of relationship other than a familial relationship, Mm -hmm. boing, 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 boing. Absolutely right.
1: Absolutely right. And even the familial relationship, if, uh, if... Uh, A parent leaves all of the assets to one child to the exclusion of the other children, and that child was involved in the procurement of the will, like if I wrote my mother's will, leaving out all of my other siblings, that's going to give rise to an undue influence claim as well. So you go through your whole analysis Duress. Um, we don't have duress in this case. Doesn't look like we have duress. She's, old, She's enough. old enough. Is she capable of knowing and understanding in a general way? We, we well, hopefully have some um, evidence that she knew her people, her property, and her disposition. But let me.
0: I know. I know we're going through this quickly, but I have a quick question. What I thought was interesting for the for you to play with the facts is she loved her kids enough to give them money. Right, she gave and her grandkids some money. Well, they were right. Well, that that she was paid. a lot. Right, and while
1: she was alive, maybe right. she paid for their college education, helped them start a business, bought them a house.
0: Would that play into arguing either way? The idea of undue influence, in that, on the one hand. She clearly cared about them. Why would she write them off the will? But on the, You know what I'm saying? But on the other sure. hand, since she said, I took care of them, I don't need to write them off the will? I think that's right.
1: So we would need to look to other evidence, which I didn't give any more yeah, evidence. Yeah, no, no, I understand hyper, that. But so you could fight want, that one. On I'd want some statements okay. um, that, you know, she had walked around the grocery store telling everybody that she had planned to do this because she had provided generously for her children. Mm-hmm. Or, in fact, she had made contradictory mm-hmm. uh, statements during her lifetime that she intended to leave everything to her children. So this is definitely a case-driven uh, area, and on any exam, uh, any law school exam, you want to make analogies and distinctions to any case that your professor has assigned. That's going to uh, help you rack up the points on an essay.
0: Per, sorry, per, it's, this is just seems so easy. File PPD. There you go. All Love right it. Then. All right, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. This is great. Thanks. thanks. Take care. So that's my discussion with Professor Bridget Crawford. If you like the podcasts, please subscribe on iTunes. If there's a particular topic about which we should discuss or a professor we should speak with, tweet me at Laude of Fact with your suggestions. That's it for today. Thanks to www.bensound for the music. Have a good day.